From the EPR Creation Studio, this is Jason Staples bringing you the Unconquered Podcast. As always, this podcast brought to you by EPR Creations, bringing the best of website development and internet marketing for an affordable price. Stop over at showthesafeties.com and sign the petition for viewing angles put together by EPR Creations so that we can see the passing game on television. It's been pretty nice to see that all 22 angle in the uh, multicast for the playoff games. Let's get somewhere between that and the uh, current broadcast so that we can actually see the passing game. Sign that petition. You can also buy my book. It'd be nice, but uh, don't worry about that too much because we've got a lot to deal with in this one. Lots of news since uh, since early signing day when I last uh, had this, when I last recorded. I actually released that episode right before uh, Julian Armella's signing, so didn't actually address that. So suppose that's the first thing to deal with here. And uh, tell you what, that Armella signing really helps. Uh, it, go- it takes that day from what I labeled as a you know no good really bad day for uh for Norvell and the coaching staff in terms of what they had hoped for and being able to hit a home run with that class it at least elevates it to where they were able to land one of the key guys in their class and a guy that that offers a tremendous amount of potential for the future uh Armella I think is a, is it's interesting because on some services I think he's overrated and on some services I think he's underrated. I think Rivals has him as like the number two offensive tackle in the country. I don't think he's that, but then uh, 24-7 has him as an offensive guard and, you know, sort of down the list. And I also don't think he's that. So, uh, you know, I think he, I, I project him more as a right tackle, uh, as a sort of natural right tackle who could wind up inside if, you know, depending on where the needs are and what you've got on your roster. But I think he, he has the length to play, uh, to play tackle. And he is, uh, I mean, he's more athletic and has better bend and natural strength through those areas and natural hands than really those who are currently on the roster, uh, except for maybe Darius Washington. Now, you could argue that uh, that Orr and uh, you know some of those guys who uh, who haven't yet played have that kind of potential as well. But uh, you know, I think, and, and you know, you might Lloyd Willis as well. Uh, but those guys didn't come in like this in terms of the kind of player that he is coming in. I think again, he's, you know, physically a lot of similarities to Washington, but, but significantly ahead of where Washington was as a freshman. And again, I think his frame is a little more suited to tackle than Washington as well. So a big get for them, a guy that again, as a Florida state legacy was a guy that you had to get in this class and somebody that, I think has the potential to contribute fairly early in his career. Now, I, I mean, there, there's some folks out there who expect him to be a day one starter or to start as a freshman and all of that. I, I think that's just unrealistic. First of all, you don't really want that generally from your offensive line signees. Very few offensive line signees are of that level. And even the ones that are tend to get hurt at a higher level when they play early. You don't want to have to play your offensive line recruits early. You really want them to be second and third, even fourth year before they're on the field so that they can maximize what they what they are without getting banged up and hurt as much through the kind of beating that you take playing against grown men on the line of scrimmage where, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a different game in college than it is in high school. Uh, and, you know, you can see from, uh, from Armella, I've seen a couple of the things from, the U S army game. He's 
further along than a lot of guys coming out, but there's still a lot of room where he's going to have to learn how to play the position in college and to get stronger and get, you know, get things ready to, to play at that, at that level. But he does give them a really important depth piece, even as a freshman and gives them someone that as a sophomore or, you know, redshirt sophomore, uh, you know, second and third year, he's a guy that you, you put in the mix as a guy who could start. Uh, and, and again, could start inside and then slide outside as he gets older and more experienced. He could start outside depending on what the needs are. He's a guy that could play really across the offensive line. I think pretty much anywhere, but center. Uh, and honestly, I mean, I, he might be able to play center. I don't know if he can snap or not, but he's got that kind of versatility as an offensive line body and is one of the most important and one of the best recruits that you've been able to sign in this class. If you're, if you're Florida state, I mean, I think that's a, uh, just a huge signing and, and, at, but as like I said, as a fall enrollee, he's not an early enrollee. As a fall enrollee, you really expect this year to be basically a redshirt season for him. You expect him to be able to contend for a job as a sophomore, and then certainly as a redshirt sophomore, you hope he's actually on the field as a starter at that point. But again, they've they've been able to throw some numbers at the offensive line, uh, and really, really threw numbers at it this year. And that's what you have to do at that position. Not everybody's going to pan out. You have to throw enough numbers at that spot so that when guys get hurt, when guys don't pan out, when guys don't develop, you have seven, eight guys in a given year that that have panned out and that are really, uh, really good players at that point. Uh, and they're they're finally getting to the point where they're going to be healthy up front in terms of numbers and in terms of of quality bodies that have with some depth. Uh, so, other thing too, if you look at Armella now. He might be the best looking, you know, on the hoof recruit that they've landed at offensive line in what five years. I mean, going back to maybe Roderick, uh, uh, going back to to Johnson. I mean, that that's just he he is a he's a different looking kid, and that's because he has been a really hard worker who the last couple of years has radically transformed his body as he's trimmed down. Uh, you know, he doesn't have a bunch of baby fat on him. He's, you know, flat belly, that kind of guy who's bringing that level of, uh, of, of play to the, uh, to the offensive line and that level of potential. So that's a huge signing. Haven't really had a chance to, to discuss that, but I, again, I'm higher on him than some, I'm not quite as, as high on him in terms of, you know, the kind of instant impact that say rivals and some of those, those services are, but I think he's, as good an as good an offensive line recruit as Florida State has brought in in a very long time, and that's a, that's a big deal. Now, of course, the the bigger news that that came in last night. I'm recording this on uh, on Saturday. The bigger news was that Jared Verse, the defensive end, the more immediate news I should say, was that Jared Verse, the defensive end transfer from Albany, has uh, has he's enrolling at Florida State, and he is uh, he's going to be on campus Monday. Uh, to start classes and and go through spring with the team and and be an instant upgrade on the edge and that is a huge huge deal. Uh, Verse is, I think many 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 uh, uh, coaches around the country thought that Verse was the the top defender in the in the transfer portal this cycle so far at least, and for the second time second year in a row, Florida State got the best uh, the best edge player in the transfer portal. And frankly, you have to give Jermaine Johnson 
and Keir Thomas, those guys are, they deserve the credit for being able to get this guy because Verse was able to see what those guys did. And when he was on his visit, he talked with those guys and said, look, why did you go from South Carolina and Georgia to here? I mean, what was, what was the difference? And those guys sung the praises of what they were able to do in Florida State's defense in Fuller's scheme and basically with the opportunities that they got at Florida State and how that prepared them for NFL opportunities and that maximized their their opportunities and talking about, you know, the storms as a strength coach and all of that. And they were able to sell them on it. The coaches obviously put everything they could into this, but really the thing that sold it was the was the testimony of guys that were at, at SEC programs and then said, yeah, you want to get developed and you want to make the NFL, this is your best shot. You could go to Tennessee. You could go to those places. But being here with, with Storms and with uh, Norvell and with uh, the, the defensive scheme and system and, and training that you're going to get, you're going to get it. You're, you're going to do better here than just about anywhere else. Well, that sold it. So, I mean, I cannot, it's hard to emphasize how much of a difference those guys have made since they, they arrived at Florida State. I mean, the, the, if there's a major step forward at Florida State in the next couple of years, you really have to trace that to the signing of, uh, or to the commitment and the, uh, the, the play on the field and the, the culture change brought by Jermaine Johnson and, uh, and Keir Thomas and, and, and the rest but especially Jermaine Johnson, the way that, that that guy has transformed the program in lots of ways uh, is, you know, he, he, he has been a transformational player. But Verse, getting back to talking about Verse, you're getting a 6'4 guy who is long for 6'4, who's 250-plus already. You hope he's about 260 going into the, into the uh, uh, 2022 season. And this is, I mean, you're talking about a guy that is a plus athlete just an outstanding, a rare athlete at that size. And that's what you're banking on here. You are betting on, I mean, this is a guy that hasn't played at the, at the uh, FBS power five level. He, he played one game against Syracuse and he showed out. He had six quarterback pressures against Syracuse and Syracuse knew he was the only guy they had to really worry about. So that shows something. I mean, he was able to wreck shop against Syracuse on the defensive line, even though they knew they had to double team him. They knew he was the guy. So, I mean, that's, that goes to, to show the kind of potential that he brings to the table. But what, what, you're, what you're basically betting on here is a guy that has rare physical traits. Again, 6'4 and long. And then his high school track numbers at 6'4, 255, 260. You look at his high school track numbers and he ran the 100 meters in 11.3. Ran the 200 meters in 22.7 had a six foot high jump and ran on his four by 400 relay time or relay team. And they had a three twenty one time on that four, four by four. He ran the four by four for his track team. In addition to 100. So this is a defensive end who ran the one, two and four and high jumped in high school. Those guys are not very common. That's a freak athlete. And you know, he had, 13 and a half sacks in 15 games at Albany. Again, that's FCS competition. Not, not ex- You don't expect him to come in and have almost a sack a game at the FBS level. But then you look at what he did against Syracuse and you go, well, you know, he can, he can come in and be a difference maker right away if he can replicate that each time. And when you watch him, when, when you go, the, go, go through, and I've watched a good bit of him, when you watch his games, one of the things that you see 
is, and this is where there's some similarities actually to Jermaine Johnson is the effort level just really sticks out. He is relentless. I mean, just one of those guys that is energy throughout and is just constantly chasing. He never stops the constant energy, the relentlessness, the constant hustle that, that sticks out. And one of the plays that stuck out most was him chasing down, uh, Sean Tucker, the Syracuse running back, who's one of the fastest running backs in the country. And here versus running right by a defensive back on a straight line and getting his hands on Sean Tucker, who's at a dead sprint as well. And you could see the, the, the traits, the, the elite athleticism there. And, and it's, it's not a stretch to say elite. I mean, you're talking about elite athleticism there from verse in terms of what he brings to the table at six, four, 260 just and again i think he played at about 250 at, at albany so you know you think about what he's bringing to the table that's that's huge so that's what you're you're betting on and and the strength is there too i mean it's not just a speed guy and the, the strength is there for a guy that's 250 plus he's strong can compress the pocket you see the ability to play the run and and uh bull rush and do all of those things all of those traits are there but you are betting on the athleticism and traits he is still raw as a player. I mean, he's the hand move the hand movements and you know all of those things that you want to see, some of the hand fighting. He still is kind of like a you know, not much ahead of what you'd get from a lot of better high school players on that front. Stronger than the than high school players are gonna be. I mean, it's clear he applied himself in the weight room at Albany, but just has to learn how to play the position. So still raw as a player, and you can't expect you know, Jermaine Johnson results in year one. I mean, that is a once in a decade type first year transfer. You're not going to get Jermaine, Jermaine Johnson results, but he has the tools and traits to be that kind of player by the time he's done. So, you know, maybe not 2022, but 2023, 2024. I mean, I don't think he'll be there in 2024, but 2023, you know, maybe you get that kind of player. In 2022, you're getting a guy who's certainly an upgrade on whoever else you have on that on that team, on that roster. So, and if he does blow up, I mean, if, if it all of a sudden does blow up the way that, you know, you would expect for 2023, if he goes a year ahead, then he's not around in 2023 because he'd get chosen. That kind of athleticism goes in the NFL draft pretty high. So that's a huge get for Florida State. It radically changes what what they are up front because of giving you a guy that, that uh offensive lines have to deal with in terms of the the athleticism and the uh the bend and the and the strength at that and at that edge position they have to to honor that that changes some things so that is a huge get then you go down i mean you look at they've, they've added also two other transfers on defense greedy vance is, is one of the others he's from he's the corner from louisville 5'10", 155 pounds, and and that that's accurate. I think. I mean, he's. I don't think he's more than 160 pounds soaking wet. Uh, he's he's an interesting ad. I mean, I saw some people like another corner. I mean, why do we need another corner? Well, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, who on your roster do you really like and trust right now as a as a top end corner? I mean, let's go down the list of of corners that Florida State has on the roster right now. Jarvis Brownlee, Travis J, Jerrion Jones, Omarion Cooper, Hunter Washington, Demory Tate, Azaria Thomas, and they're going to start Sam McCall there as well. 
So which of these guys, which of these guys do you know next year is a guy that you can go out and put in an island and be sure he's not just going to get run by? Which of those corners is a can't miss, not going to get run by corner? Which of those guys is a, is a, oh, and Kevin Knowles as well. I, he's a nickel guy. I forgot to list him as well because I, I was thinking of outside corners. But, but which of those guys do you look at and you go, okay, well, we can, we can one-on-one cover there and not worry too much. There are a couple guys that you look at and you go, he's got the traits to be there. But how many times, I mean, look, I like Jarvis Brownlee as a player in a lot of ways. I mean, you, you love his fight. You love all that. But how many times did he just get run by last year? Not to mention, you know, the one, most sort of infamous play of the 2021 season against Jacksonville state. But how many times did he just wind up in trail position and just didn't have the jets to be able to catch up just physically speaking? You got to think about that. And, you know, Travis J has the tools, but how many, I mean, he got, he got just picked on big time last year, Jerry and Jones, you know, struggled last year, struggled the year before. Omari and Cooper looked good at the end of the year. So you got, you got a guy you can build on there, but I mean, good tools, but not elite Hunter Washington. We don't really know Demory Tate. You know, he hasn't been able to get on the field despite subpar corner play. One of the best athletes on the team, but has to learn how to play the position still. So, I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty at the corner position. It makes sense to take a guy like Vance. Because when you go back and you watch the Louisville defense this year, he was one of the best players in the Louisville defense once he once he actually started. You know, he began starting second game of the year, uh, and once he once he got on the field, he was one of their best players. So, to me, it makes sense. And you know, he's small, like I said, 5'10", 155 pounds, but he is really long. I mean, he's he, I, I I don't know what his wingspan is, but when you look at him. He's, you know, a LaMarcus Joyner type in terms of his arm length. I mean, LaMarcus Joyner had like a 6'5 wingspan despite being 5'10", right? He's that kind of guy. Now, Joyner was also, you know, thick and and all of that. And, and Vance definitely is not that. But he plays longer than his height, so that helps. And what you're getting with him is a he's he's a twitchy, sticky, bursty guy. You know, that's what, that's what sticks out. You can see when he changes direction or when he... Uh, accelerates you can see how light he actually is because it's just so easy for him to really accelerate he's like one of those you know small sports cars that just hits the gas and you see it just take off and it looks you can see how light the the vehicle is uh he's a guy that just isn't going to get run by a whole lot runs well and he gives you a guy that can play in the slot or at field corner so he gives you some flexibility and some insurance behind kevin knowles or in front of kevin knowles potentially depending on how the outside corner situation works. But you got a guy that you can play at nickel along with Knowles. So Robinson doesn't have to come down and play nickel if something happens there. Uh, or, you know, if you're if you're confident with Knowles, but you just haven't really fixed what you want at the at the corner position on the outside, he gives you a guy that can play at that field corner and give you some flexibility there and, and know that you can at least rely on him not to just get run by. And he is a really, I mean, he's a fiery guy. He's a competitor and punches above his weight. There's no doubt about that. I mean, he's, he's willing to throw all 155 pounds of himself at guys. So, you know, I, I like the take. I think he's a good player. I, I think you, you kind of have to compare him to somebody like Tony Carter as a bit of an undersized corner 
but with the, the, the acceleration and the, the sort of stickiness to be able to play on the outside, even against bigger receivers. So I, I think he's a good player and he, he raises the floor for you pretty significantly at the corner position where you've got a couple raw guys, you know, a couple really young guys that could be elite down the line. I mean, Demory Tate, you know, Sam McCall, if he sticks at corner, Azaria Thomas, if he sticks at corner, I mean, these are guys that could be elite, but are they ready to be even good yet? At this level, and if if not, well, who do you have? You know, is do you really want? I mean, is Brownlee really a guy that you want to be one, your number one corner? I, probably not. So, I mean, that's where you you can upgrade that position with Vance. So, curious to see how where they use him and how they how the, how he fits. My suspicion is that he'll probably get some some run initially in the spring at that outside field corner with, with Knowles in the slot and then rotate in some in the slot, but he's a good piece to have. And then third guy, of course, uh, is Tatum Bethune, the, uh, the, the linebacker from UCF and for him, six foot two, two twenty five, And you're with him, you're getting more of a finished product. So it's interesting. What they've done is they've added a super high ceiling defensive end, a high floor, moderate ceiling corner, and then a really high floor linebacker in Tatum Bethune. Bethune, probably the best linebacker. I mean, he was certainly the leading tackler. He had over 100 tackles for uh, for UCF this year. Tons of good experience and leadership uh, at that linebacker position for UCF. And, you know, not a real big guy, you know, six foot, 225, like I said, but he's a or he's a linebacker who can actually cover, and it, it, he's not great in coverage. I mean, he's not a Baron Baron Browning or something like that. But he is a guy who is not a liability in coverage, and he can legit run sideline to sideline. And he is a smart player. One of the things that sticks out when you watched it stuck out anytime you watched UCF this year is their linebackers, and in particular Bethune, really smart, triggered downhill in the proper spots in coverage. Uh, he also showed really good timing in terms of blitzing. So a little undersized, not, you know, elite in coverage, not, not great in coverage, but not a liability in coverage. And Florida State's had liabilities in coverage at the linebacker spot for the last five years, basically. So then you add to that, that he brings a ton of leadership. You know, he's coming from a great family of educators. I mean, I've heard from people who, have known his family for you know over a decade, and they're like, no, this is this is a major take just for the locker room, let alone him being a really good player. That that matters, and he also gives inroads into a top high school program in South Florida, which you know that's sort of the cherry on the top there. That you know you have that guy have some success and go on to uh, potentially go on to the NFL or something like that afterwards. And if he says if he's speaking really highly of your program. And going back to school, going back to high school and, and saying this is, you know, where guys ought to consider, that helps. So that that's another issue. But I, I think what you're getting there, what you're getting in Bethune is someone who is, he's really similar to Kalen Deloach. I think he's a little more physical than Deloach. But in that he's a three down backer who can, who can cover, who can play the run can run sideline to sideline and be a be a an all-around guy, be an all-around player in your defense. And so that allows you to have two linebackers that are not 
not guys that that offenses can basically mark as okay. There's the duck against uh, against the pass and just get whatever uh, whatever matchups they want against that backer. So this allows you to put Lundy, for example, in a more situational role in a rotational role that suits him more as a as a thumper. Uh, there are times where you could put say Deloach, Lundy, and Bethune on the field uh, together. You, you know, there are other situations where you could see uh, Deloach. Uh, Bethune and say Marty Gaynor on the field together. There are some options now that you have where you can ha- you can use some three linebacker sets and not feel like you've got two guys out there that that are coverage liabilities. And you can have your base two linebacker set, and again not have coverage liabilities at the same level. And you've got a guy that has proven that he can play and be a solid player against the run. So that that's a big deal. I think defensively all three of these guys significantly improve they raise the floor of your defense significantly and they're three players who are in my view athletic upgrades the the emphasis here i think is is pretty clear that they they want they needed to get faster and more athletic defensively these are not guys where they went after you know after just big guys they didn't go after size they went after guys that could run and they wanted guys who could raise the athletic profile of the defense. That's what they did. They got three guys who are athletic upgrades in terms of speed and quickness at the positions that they, that they're going to play. Uh, and they got two players who proven themselves at this level. And all three of these guys, in my opinion, should be plug and play players who can play day one, which is what they really needed out of the transfer portal. So, uh, so yeah, that's a, that's a solid thing. Now, before we turn over to the offensive transfers and start thinking about what they've got coming in for the spring there, I want to remind you that this segment is brought to you by Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida. Louis is the best in the business in the greater Jacksonville area, a trained photographer and videographer. If you need to put your house on the market and you want to get the best possible price, and boy, it's a good time to sell. Let Lewis know you heard about him from the Unconquered Podcast, and he'll make sure you get the best possible price and that you sell it right away. And if you need a place to buy, nobody's going to outwork Lewis in making sure that you get the best possible place for the best possible price. Again, let him know you heard about him from the Unconquered Podcast. Information in the show notes. So on the offensive side, they've added five transfers. And again, they've, they've managed to land the guys that they targeted, to be honest. That, and that it's been really impressive the 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 hit rate that they've had on the guys that they really went after. So the first guy to talk about here is Caden Lyles, the Wisconsin uh, transfer uh, at center. And Lyles is interesting because he's a former defensive end. He came in and he actually played at defensive end his freshman year at at Wisconsin. Yeah, you know, actually played like wasn't just on the team. He played at defensive end. Was good enough to to actually be a viable defensive end in the Big Ten athletic enough to move around like that. And he moved like it even on the offensive line before the injury. So he's an athlete. 6'3", 320 at this point, uh, and has starting experience at center and showed that he can play that position. But he did have a, a, a knee injury in 2020 that kind of derailed him there and then still looked affected by that injury largely in 2021. And so, you know, once he once he transferred out sort of mid-season, once he entered the portal there, uh, 
he's had some opportunity to to heal and he's going to have more opportunity now between now and the, uh, and the regular season to be able to continue to get fully healthy there. And as, as long as he's fully recovered from that knee injury, I think he's an instant upgrade who raises both the floor and the ceiling at the, at the center position, because you're talking about a guy that's, that's 320. He's not undersized at that center position and has that kind of athleticism of being a former, former defensive lineman. And you, you look at the tape and, he is a really strong cat. I mean, he is a Wisconsin offensive lineman. Strong and can anchor. I mean, he could, he showed that he could stonewall good defensive tackles. And instead of getting pushed back and, and creating that compression in the pocket and crowding the pocket, he was able to just anchor and keep space in front of the quarterback, which is a big deal for, for a guy like Jordan Travis to be comfortable throwing from the pocket. Is it, you know, you've got your guard to guard is where your pocket sort of has to stay stable. When you let leakage come from that, those spots, that's the worst. But the next worst is when it's just kind of claustrophobic and those guys compress against you. Uh, you know, Belichick and Saban and Jimbo Fisher and, and some others talk a lot about how it's not so much necessarily uh, getting sacks or getting edge rushers to, to get after the quarterback from, from the outside that really makes the most impact on a quarterback. It's being able to compress and, and force quarterbacks to make throws from a muddy pocket that's compressed on them and have to throw over guys that are right in their lap. That's much harder, and that generates turnovers and all of that. Well, that's kind of what Florida State's had on the inside. And especially this year when Smith was banged up and also just – you know, he lost some weight due to getting sick and just wasn't able to anchor. Well, when you've got a guy that can anchor in there that allows that space to be had on the interior, now your quarterback's throwing from a clean pocket and can can see better, can throw comfortably, and and can really challenge teams downfield in a totally different way. So that's what he he offers and also showed that he can move and and combo block on the interior as well. So I mean, obviously at Wisconsin you get plenty of practice as a run blocker. So this is a guy that, to me, is a plug-and-play starter with a high floor and a, and, and a pretty high ceiling, honestly. I mean, he, if he's fully healthy and fully recovered from that knee injury, his movement skills at that size are advanced. And so you're looking at a guy that, that upgrades you on the, on the offensive interior significantly. And it also gives you another year, essentially, to continue to develop uh, Maurice Smith and let him... Uh, be in a role that he really should have been since he was on campus, which is a, a developmental role so that he can step in with more weight and health after Lyles is done there. That's, that's more ideal. So I, I think, and again, if somebody goes, you know, if Lyles misses a game or something, you've, you've got a guy that you can plug in. So you, again, the floor is, is raised significantly. The other guy that they've added here, bless Harris from Lamar, the offensive tackle. And I didn't talk about him. He was already committed uh, before the, uh, before the the signing day, but I didn't really talk uh, about him previously. Uh, wanted to save that for the more of a transfer portal uh, discussion. But Harris, to me, it, again, six four and a half, three fifteen, and long arms. Uh, he has, to me, all of the traits and athleticism that you look for in a in an offensive tackle at the power five level. The long arms, the the feet that can really pitter patter and and move. Uh, good hands and natural bend. Uh, to me, he's got all the traits. He he is a plus athlete for for his size. You really want to see him 
get a good off season with, with storms uh, and with the strength program, because he, he's a guy that's still developing physically, but all the, all the tools are there. And you can see from, uh, from his games at, at Lamar, that he is a violent player. I mean, there's some nasty in this guy. You got to love that. Now, the thing is he's, he's still learning technique wise. So Lyles is a guy that technique wise, you don't have a lot to mess with. You can just plug and play. Harris is a guy that has all the tools, but it's really more of a high ceiling thing than it is uh, a, an immediate floor thing. He has to learn how to, how to play the position a little bit. But the, the thing is, all the tools are there to be able to do it well. All he has to do is, is to refine his kick a little bit into, into pass protection and, and also his steps on the, off the line of scrimmage and learn how to sit into his hips, especially as a, as a pass protector. If he can learn how to do that, uh, and, and to sit into the hips basically means it, it's about getting your weight in the proper position, square to the line of scrimmage, so that when you get contact, you can have leverage against that contact and you can match uh, basically pressure with pressure without giving up a soft shoulder or without basically giving ground or, or, or all of that. If he can sit into those hips so that he can generate that power and match pressure with pressure, once he learns how to do that, you're talking about a guy that has the athleticism and the, and the, the frame to be a top-level pass protector at the left tackle spot in the ACC. So what they're doing here is they're betting on his athleticism and the, the body and the idea that Atkins can develop him quickly. And again, if with the spring and the summer to continue to work and refine on these things, this is a guy that could be a plug-and-play starter. If it clicks... If everything clicks, he he has the the frame and the tools to walk in, improve himself, get to where he needs to be technique wise over the next six months, and then day one of the of next season be a plug and play starter at right or left tackle. Absolutely could do it, and that would allow one of last year's tackles to slide inside, and now you're better across the whole offensive line because now you've got Gibbons at the at the guard, you got Lyles at the center. You got one of last year's tackles, say Washington, at one of the guards, at the other guard. And then you've got Harris at the tackle where he's an upgrade. And then whatever is going on at that other tackle, whether that's, you know, maybe one of last year's tackles, whether that's, again, Washington on the outside or Robert Scott on the outside, you've improved essentially at four spots on your offensive line, plus ideally being healthy at that other one. So, again, you're raising the floor there. And if even if he's not that kind of instant upgrade plug and play starter, he's still going to raise the floor of your offense by being a third tackle that can actually be competent and can play. And that's what you're hoping for this year. You're hoping that so last year, when one of the tackles went down, it was basically an instant loss because they couldn't block the edge. I mean, you remember this early in the year when when Robert Scott went down, that was it. When Darius Washington was banged up, they, they, they really struggled. When you have a third tackle or a fourth tackle that can actually play, and when you get a guy banged up that that guy can go in and, you, and it's not an immediate loss, that raises the whole floor of your season. And so that's what he does. And you, know, you hope that Lloyd Willis takes that next step forward, that Rod Orr takes that next step forward. Those guys might be still a, another year away, but you hope that, that one of those guys at least 
takes another step forward so that you have four rotational tackles that can actually play. And then if somebody does get banged up and has to miss some series or miss a game or whatever, it's not, it's not an automatic loss. And that's what the, that's what adding Harris does. I'd still like to see them add one more tackle, frankly, but, uh, but I think they've shored up a lot of the offensive line with the two guys that they, that they added again, an instant, floor raiser and you know instant upgrade at center and another guy that that both helps raise the floor depth wise and has the potential to have a really high ceiling uh at tackle and then you got the three receivers so the three receivers are interesting because they, they they added a mix of guys here first was micah Pittman from oregon 511 200 and he, this was an interesting take i mean he was a guy that that when i when I've looked at him, when I sort of graded him on uh, uh, on what I saw of him from from Oregon, he's a guy that you know. I said, well, you know, I don't see a lot of special special traits in terms of uh, you know he's not super explosive, you know, not a guy that's going to blow you away in straight speed, that sort of thing. He's not a guy that created a ton of separation you know, one-on-one, he's just, you know, creating a bunch of, of space, uh, didn't get a ton of separation on that. You go, well, are you just basically adding another guy that's like your, uh, like your current roster? I mean, got a a bunch of guys that can't really separate that well. And then you look a little closer and you go, well, you know, there are some really nice tools to like here. I mean, he is a, a thicker body, uh, excellent hands and a natural hands catcher. Uh, and then the quickness starts to stick out and you say, you know, he's quicker than fast. I mean, I, I project him more as a mid four, six guy. I mean, when I went and found it, he, he ran a four, six, nine at the opening event in, uh, uh, that he was in, in, uh, 2019. So, you know, I don't think he's gotten a ton faster. I think he's probably gotten, you know, maybe he's down into the low four, six range, but I don't think he's any faster than that. Uh, but the quickness is there. The, the acceleration is really where he he excels and you can see that he's really taken care of his body and has developed himself. I mean, he's, he's a guy that's, that's getting closer to maxed out physically because he is a really strong player and plays strong. Uh, and then you add that with being a natural hands catcher and excellent hands. And he's a guy that, that even when he didn't have a ton of space, he won, he made contested catches and, he he consistently won those one-on-one opportunities, even when he didn't have a ton of space. And that hasn't been the case for Florida State's receivers. So then you combine that with him being a good yak guy. I mean, he's a guy that made yards after catch consistently. And he he looks like a running back with the ball in his hands. He 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 runs like a running back. And you go, oh, I see the versatility. And I think really where he fits is as a three in their offense, which is there's they, they kind of move that around. That's their slot also lines up in the backfield. So you can give him some carries, you get lots of work in the screen game. A lot of that, a lot of times that guy gets isolated for option routes underneath. There's a lot of different things that you can do with that versatile piece that, you know, he's a little different a little different kind of player than say Ja'Kai Douglas, who's more of a, a speed guy that you can just kind of send on a go route there, but hasn't developed as much in some of those other areas yet. Pittman is, is kind of the opposite. He's the guy that, that has all those other areas and you can work with, with him on some of those option routes. You go say empty and get him lined up against the linebacker and he's going to eat him alive as a, in, in coverage that that's what you want. 
And so they're going to be able to isolate him there, and he's going to be a reliable go-to on third down. That's basically what I see as a role here and very active in the screen game. And then you also add that he is a, a very good punt returner and a day-one plug-and-play guy right there. I mean, he is fearless, and he catches everything. He catches the punts. So that's an upgrade. You, 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 that's an immediate take. That makes sense that, on why they would, they would want him. The real question for him is how is he going to handle things if he's not getting a ton of targets and say Florida State's running the ball a lot? I mean, that's why he left Oregon. How, how is he going to be in the locker room, say, if you know Florida State has a number of games where they're throwing at 18 to 20 times and he's only seeing three or four targets? You know, hopefully all that works out and they, they continue to have success and they're able to get some good matchups to him and, and keep him happy there. But that's the one thing that you kind of worry about there is, you know, he he transferred for that reason and tra- is transferring into an offense that has run it a lot. So, you know, are you going to are you going to find enough targets for him to to keep him exactly where he wants to be locker room wise? That's something that that I you know sort of wonder about. But again, upgrading in raising the floor at that, at that spot. And I think he helps upgrade that, that three spot where, you know, Helton and and the rest have been, I think he basically takes over there. Then his former high school teammate, Johnny Wilson also transferred in from Arizona state. When he hit the portal, I was like, Oh, that's a guy I would go after because Norvell has always had, you know, a, a, a big wide receiver, a tall wide receiver who could win one-on-one on the outside at their nine position, at their at their split end position. This is a big part of, of Norvell's offense, always has been. And it hasn't been at Florida State the first two years because they haven't had that guy who could consistently win one-on-one on the outside on those back shoulder fades and on those vertical routes where you basically just tell the quarterback, oh, it's one-on-one and that guy's on that guy, you just take it. They haven't had that. And he's had it literally every other season other than the two seasons at Florida State, they've always had that in Norvell's offense and they haven't had it. Well, this guy's 6'6", 230 and brings that to the table. And really, I think you have to kind of think of him as somewhere between Auden Tate and Greg Carr. That's kind of what you're getting here. Not quite Kelvin Benjamin in terms of, of the fluidity and all that. I don't think he's as fluid as Benjamin was, but that kind of size and that kind of, of, just gigantic presence on the outside. Uh, again, sim- more similar to someone like Tate or Carr who can be that vertical threat, use his body and all of that. Now, his verified numbers, testing numbers coming out of high school were absurdly good for someone his size. I mean, he ran four five nine and a 4-2 short shuttle at the opening regional. So, and, and those, are, those are under good conditions. So, I mean, those are not illegitimate numbers. Again, uh, that makes that means that Wilson actually ran a tenth of a second faster than Pittman, <laughs> despite the fact that Pittman's five eleven and Wilson is you know between six six and six seven. And if he's still running you know four six flat, that's absurd at that height at, at that height and at that length. So you know probably not quite that fast. I mean he's gained some weight, but you know if you're looking at a legit sub four seven for this guy, that's a serious problem for defenses. And, you know, again, that 4-2 short shuttle is outstanding for someone over 6-3, let alone someone who's 6-6. And he is a monster blocker on the edge. Was the top-rated blocker by pro football focus of wide receivers in the country last year, even though he only played in five games. So, 
you, you can see the competitiveness and the finishing there. Uh, someone who plays with really high effort and, and does not accept uh, guys, you know, get, breaking through. And, and, and you can look at the competitiveness of wide receivers in large part by how hard, how, how seriously they take blocking. And he's a guy that enjoys putting defenders on their back. So that means that you, you, you can use him a lot Again, you, you basically added Micah Pittman as a guy that catches the ball a bunch on the screen in the screen game. And you've added Johnny Wilson as a guy who is an immediate upgrade as a blocker against the screen game uh, or for the screen game. So now now you've you've aided your your perimeter screen game pretty significantly. And then you've also added that immediate red zone and back shoulder fade kind of threat so that okay, screen, 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 and then slip screen where you've got the one on one or one on none with the six six guy downfield you feel pretty good about that now you ask okay well why didn't he have more production at arizona state well the primary reason is he hurt his hamstring in 2021 so he had 154 receiving yards and a touchdown in four games so about 40 yards per game receiving and was you know among their leading receivers in those games and then pulled a hamstring and was you know out the next few games came back for part of the fifth part of his fifth game wasn't able to 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 go through kind of re-injured that hamstring and that's that. So you got to make sure that he's fully healthy and that you know he's not going to have hamstring or other problems in the fall. So that's got to be a big focus of the offseason is making sure he's fully recovered and prehabbed to to keep from that. But overall, if you can have a healthy guy that's 6'6" 230 that does what he does, you feel really good about that in terms of upgrading it with a guy that can win one-on-ones just due to the freakish physical traits that he brings to the table. Now, he did have some issues with drops. I think he had three or four in those four games, which is way too many, uh, especially given the relatively low number of targets. But again, these are sort the sorts of things that, you know, you're, you're going to roll the dice here with, uh, with, with, the, with the freak show that you're, you're bringing onto campus with that. And I think those drops... You can see the the natural hands on the high school tape, so you don't worry too much about that. Now, Pittman and Wilson played together at Calabasas High School. A lot of people know that, but not a whole lot of people know this. Those two guys actually played on the same seven-on-seven team as Chubba Purdy, who actually committed, commuted over from Arizona to play on that seven-on-seven seven, seven elite team. So that's an interesting tidbit there, that Pittman and Wilson transferring into Florida State uh, played seven-on-seven seven with... Uh, Chubba Purdy, who's in the in the portal going out from Florida State, which I think is probably one of the reasons that uh, there's been some buzz that Purdy may, you know, be reconsidering leaving. And I have I've reached out and, you know, gotten some word that there has been communication that Norvell may be amenable to that that kind of return. So uh, that would be that would be interesting. I, I still would not bet on it at this point, uh, given some of the. Uh, some of the background there, but uh, I mean, I do think Purdy would be better than pretty much any transfer portal quarterback that they could get for next year because of uh, the situation that they're in. They're not going for a, uh, for a guy that would be an instant starter. They basically need someone who can come in and be a high potential backup uh, for Jordan Travis and ideally someone who can play within your offense and knows it. Well, all of those things fit Chubba Purdy. So, I mean, it would make a lot of sense though you'd want him to you know earn his way back in given the the circumstances from from last season 
and earn his earn his way into the teammates' good graces and all that. But I think in in today's locker rooms, I mean, that wouldn't be a problem, especially again with guys that he's played with before. So, you know, I thought Purdy was going to end up at at Nebraska after uh, after Whipple went from Pitt to Nebraska, but Nebraska just just got Casey Thompson transferring from from Texas. So, I mean, I. I'm curious to see what's going to happen there. So that's a piece of data that I think is is kind of interesting. Uh, and again, I think some folks must have known uh, that those guys played on the the same seven on seven team with Purdy, and and that may have been one of the reasons that uh, that some of this uh, that some of the buzz started to happen in terms of the potential of a return there. So find that interesting. In any case, finally the third the third guy, the third wide receiver that they've added is Deuce Span and he's the guy from he's the guy from Illinois and when he hit the when he hit the portal uh this is a guy that's 6'4 200 pounds and is a legit 4-4 guy. I mean, you're talking about wild athleticism. Just freakish. I mean, this is a guy, this guy is a freak show athlete. You you go back and you look at his high school film at uh at at quarterback and you know, it looks Lamar Jackson-ish in terms of the the freak show athlete athlete that he is. And doing so as, you know, a 6'4 guy. I mean, just, it looks silly. And as soon as he hit the portal, I, would, I mentioned like, look, this is a guy that I would target if I'm Florida State. He would be, he might be wide receiver one on my board of all the wide receivers in the portal at that point. You know, maybe maybe behind you know in terms of immediate impact behind a few guys, uh, maybe the OU receivers that that initially hit the board, but higher ceiling than any of them, any of them that were on the portal when he, uh, when he entered the portal for sure. And I think you could argue that in terms of ceiling, in terms of potential, this is the guy who entering the portal came in with the most upside any wide receiver that has, that has entered the portal so far. Just, just a ridiculous, I mean, I, it's, it's hard to, hard to overemphasize what a ridiculous athlete this guy is. I mean, he is, he's bigger, faster, and smoother than Tamorian Terry was. Okay. So that, to put that in perspective, right now, He's about as raw as Terry was because he converted from quarterback in camp last season for, for Illinois and spent this year in basically transition in transition as he was trying to figure out how to play the, re- the receiver position still had a couple long touchdowns. And you go back and you look at the highlight on, on that post route that he just ran right by the Virginia secondary, which the Virginia secondary was not that good. Let, let, don't get me wrong but you see the tools and you see the, the, the great catch downfield and you see him just accelerate and you go, Oh yeah. Florida state hasn't had one of those in a while. So what this guy gives you is a guy that just traits wise is an immediate deep threat. And he has shown that he can make tough catches downfield. And even if, even if he can't run anything, but posts and goes initially, and you know back shoulder type stuff just vertical routes his initial presence on the field at different points changes the way defenses can match up with you the same way that when terry was out there and was was playing well for florida state and even after he stopped playing well after injury and some other things it changed the way that teams could defend florida state 
because you got to always worry about the possible blow by. You know, you can't just cover one on one against the board and, you know, feel feel comfortable because you'll load up against the run and there's always that chance that you get burned. So you have to keep some additional cushion. You have to add an extra guy to coverage. You have to do those things, which then allows the offense more space to do all sorts of other stuff. That's what this guy brings to the table. So even if, you know, you get 15 catches on the year for 250 yards as a, a, you know, in this next year. So that's not a whole lot, right? Just over a catch a game, but 15, 20 yards a catch because a few of them are, are long. He changes the way defenses have to defend you when he's out there. Now he's got to learn how to run routes. He's got to learn how to be a receiver. I think he makes sense as a situational run game quarterback, you know, doing some of the stuff that Corbin did last year. You know, one of those guys that maybe you don't want to use Jordan Travis in that to get him banged up. You line Travis up out wide and you have this guy take, you have Span take some snaps at quarterback and do some of the run game stuff. And he throws it well enough to be a serious problem in the trick play game and throwing it out of those packages. This is a guy who is a super high ceiling. I mean, at 6'4", 200 plus, with the kind of wheels and smoothness that he has, you're talking about a guy that has first round pick kind of ceiling potential. Now that now granted, don't get me wrong. I am not saying that he's going to be a first rounder. I am saying that he has the potential to grow into that because all of the traits and tools are there. And there aren't that many of those guys. It might take a year or two for the light to fully come on, but if the light does fully come on, this guy could be a superstar at wide receiver. And again, he could be a wide rec- he could be wide receiver 1 at the NFL level with those traits. We're going to see whether or not those traits can get developed as they need to be. But the traits are there for for him to be special. So this is a a dice roll of you're going to go out and get the best dang athlete you can at this position. And hopefully that that pans out. But he's got four years of eligibility left. So, I mean, you're looking at three, three years of eligibility. I think he's got four to play three. But you don't expect him to be there for all of those. But, you know, he's basically you've just gotten yourself the equivalent of a high school recruit with super duper ceiling. So to me, that's a guy to be really excited about. Not necessarily a guy that you expect a bunch from this year, but you do expect him to be able to change defenses with his speed just in terms of the threat. If he can just have a couple long plays early in the year and then you can just start getting him out there as a decoy at different points, it just changes the way defenses have to defend you. And he's a guy that that once he learns how to play the position at all, is going to be able to get off of one-on-one coverage and be a problem for teams that want to match up that way, which is exactly what they needed. So it's a mix of receivers. You've got sort of your high floor, but a little bit lower ceiling, versatile guy in Pittman. You've got your uh, you know, high floor on the blocking side, high ceiling on the on the vertical receiving side in the giant receiver with Wilson. And then you've got your speed merchant freak show in do span. And each of them are, you know, different levels of like what you can expect immediately versus in terms of potential. It's a really interesting and good mix of receivers. And it makes sense that they, that they went for those guys the way that they want. So overview here, offensively, they've raised the floor offensively massively. And they've also increased their ceiling 
because they brought in some guys where they're rolling the dice on the traits. I mean, Wilson and Span have not had a ton of production. You know, Harris has not played at this level before. But all of three of those guys are athletes at the level that, you know, you could be all conference or better in terms of the athlete that they're bringing on, on bringing in. So if they can coach him and if those guys can learn now together, all three, all five of these pieces are really about improving the passing game, <laughs> giving a better pocket to, to, to the quarterback and then providing some vertical options, two vertical options and, and, and big bodies. And then one who can win underneath, you know, two tall receivers and one sort of thicker, versatile one. And there's no player in this group that you question the take. You know, they've bet on traits, they bet on freak athleticism, but they're, you're rolling the dice. You're going to get payoff from freaks eventually. And they've got enough number two and number three options on the roster already to be, con- you know, consistent, good pieces. What they've lacked is the number one piece who makes everything easier for those guys. And if one of these three guys pans out next year and becomes a number one, the offense takes a major leap forward. I mean, that's pretty simple. You get 60 catches out of these guys as a whole. I mean, that's 20 catches a piece. But, you know, I think the majority of those would be, let's say you get 35 catches from from Pittman, you know, something like that. And then 25 from the other two. To me, that would be a win and would represent significant improvement. You get 15 catches for 250 yards or something like that. From span, I mean, just over a catch per game and everything changes in terms of how defenses have to play you. So overall, to me, just looking at the whole, the whole portal class that they've added, even if they add nobody else, and, and they're going to add others from here, they've, they've won this offseason in the transfer portal. And the, the theme, there's a clear theme here, is, is that they got more athletic across the board. They, they got players that raised the floor, particularly in Lyles and uh, Greedy Vance and Tatum Bethune. They also got two players with early round potential in Deuce Span and, uh, and Verse. But what they really did is they went out and they just got a lot more athletic and they added the kinds of difference makers that was exactly what, what I was saying was missing from the 2022 recruiting class after early signing day. I mean, saying like, look, this is a solid class and they got a lot better, but where are the difference makers? Well, here are some difference makers potentially, especially at wide receiver and defensive end. So you feel really good about that in terms of the combination of that. And and I find it interesting, by the way, that they've had so much more success in the portal than they have in high school recruiting overall. And, you know, it, it, it's interesting to think about what that implies. Uh, I think that, you know, it's interesting that they've been more, they've been able to sell better. They've been more attractive to players who know more having been through the process and already played in college and all of that and have more experience and know what to look for and more information. They've been more attractive to those players than they have to the, you know, typical high school recruit. And they've clearly been able to connect with more knowledgeable players and parents. I mean, you look at the NFL legacies who've jumped on board. And guys from you know major programs who've jumped on board, that that's been interesting. They've been able to sell to those guys, to the guy, to to the people who know the questions to ask and what to look for. But for the for the less experienced and the people who are not quite in the same boat, they've had more trouble. What that tells me is that they haven't built the high school networks and relationships yet 
that are necessary for all of that to pay off in high school recruiting. And plus they haven't won enough and they don't have some of the bells and whistles and, you know, the, some of the NIL type stuff that some of the other programs do. And those factors I think matter more right now for high school players. But, you know, the question is, can they build that network? And, you know, with a few wins, maybe, maybe that, that helps, but, you know, another year building that network in Florida and some continued upgrades and facilities and NIL improvements and all of that, will they be able to parlay some of this, this success in the transfer portal with, will they be able to parlay that into some of the, uh, the improvement in landing some top high school recruits? That's the real question. Final stuff here. Uh, in other news, you know, Jamie Robinson announced that he's returning and I, I think that's a huge deal. I mean, he, as we, as we talked about on this podcast during the season, he's the one that he, he stabilized the, the defense. Once he moved to Buck, he was clearly the best player in the secondary in 2021. And really when he moved to Buck, he stabilized the defense by his, uh, his presence on the back end, his ability to cover reliably on that, on that, uh, from that position and make sure that they didn't get some bad matchups and his ability to clean up on the back end really made a difference. And then Fabian Lovett hasn't announced at least that I've seen, but word is he's returning also. And that may be even a bigger deal. And word is, you know, you got to give some NIL credit here. There's some FSU folks on the, uh, on the back end here who have uh, been starting to figure some of this out in terms of making sure that re- that NIL works for retention, if not for recruiting. So just yet. So Good on whoever's involved on that. Uh, third piece of news is Leonard Warner uh, returning for his sixth year to play uh, at the Fox position uh, after missing the 2021 season with injury. And and look, I'm more excited about this than I think anybody else because I, I I like Warner uh, as a as an option here. I mean he's he offers good depth at that spot, and you know he moved there late in the year. He just didn't work at linebacker. Uh, he'd kind of outgrown it, never really was, was quick enough to play linebacker at this level. But then when he moved to Fox, he, he actually looked pretty good. I mean, looked like he was still learning, but he looked pretty good. Looked like he had some potential there before his injury. I mean, he's not some unathletic stiff. I mean, he's a big body, 6'4", 265, and he's got some length. He just outgrew the linebacker spot, but it makes sense for him to be, you know, at the box position. And he's a guy that, that, if nothing else can eat up some reps, you know, and handle himself against the run and and do some of that stuff to, to give you some solidity there opposite verse and, you know, to provide some, some good depth on the edge. And he also brings good leadership in the locker room to me, having him come back plus some good uh, special teams presence. It's about as good as, as you could ask for most transfers that you might be able to add for say a third piece on the edge. So I mean I, I think I think that's a good uh, a good addition for Florida State to to have him back for that extra year and 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 again I I, I think more highly of him at that spot than most uh, again that six four two sixty plus frame I think goes to good use there and maybe adds a little bit even more weight uh, with a healthy off season so that's an interesting one to me they're still also looking for uh, another edge I mean I would like them to add Terrell Dawkins from NC State who uh, to me has really, really good potential as a true edge, but kind of found himself on the outside looking in when NC State changed their defense and they went to a three defensive tackle stack front in 2021. And he just didn't, he didn't fit what they wanted to do. I mean, he's a true edge and 
they were playing three defensive tackles. And so it didn't make sense for him to stick around there. I think he's a guy that, that is, he, he he's someone I would, I would regard as a take. Uh, but unless they, they, they think there's someone else who's going to hit the portal late, he's a guy that I would, I would really like to see them take, but I would, I would like to see another edge. And if you can find a plug and play offensive tackle, good luck with that. But if you can find one, I think you, you add one uh, there as well. And maybe a high ceiling, younger defensive tackle, if one comes available, but those again are not all that frequent. Uh, but, and you keep your eye out otherwise, but they, you know, adding all these guys pre-spring is a pretty, pretty big deal. Uh, so before we wrap up, want to thank, uh, my other sponsors, Shenandoah Newsma of Keller Williams Realty in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. You can find her at shenrealestate.com. You tell her you heard about her from the Unconquered podcast. And Garage Makeover is the best garage remodeling company in South Florida. Information about them is also in the show notes. Final pieces of news. Uh, I also found uh, it interesting that UNC uh, departed, uh, they, they parted ways with uh, defense coordinator Jay Bateman. And I think Bateman's a really good coordinator. I think most people who've uh, spent any time studying his defenses or, or uh, uh, talking with talking ball with him would say the same. Uh, I know Mike Norvell has coached against him back when they were in the AAC. Uh, Fuller also studied with Bateman, uh, you know, did some work learning what Bateman was doing uh, back before uh, Bateman was, uh, or back before Fuller's season as a defense coordinator at Memphis. So there there's relationships there. If I were Fuller, or if I were uh Norvell, I would do everything I could to hire Bateman as an analyst, as a guy that, that could come in and, and, and help provide some, some scheme uh, help and, and all of that uh, on, on the back end for the defense. Uh, obviously, we'd come on the cheap, you know, because of continuing to be paid by North Carolina. So, you know, I think that's, that's a move I would make. Uh, Bateman's a really strong football mind, and he is a great, not a good, but a great recruiter. So, you know, there are other reasons that some things didn't work out at UNC. Uh, the, the whole program sort of had some issues this last year and, and he's, a, but he's a guy that I would, I would strongly look at trying to bring in as an analyst. I'll be interested to see where he lands, but that's a guy that I, I I'd keep an eye on uh, if I were Florida state and, and Mike Norvell. Uh, so final stuff here with all these personnel additions, I've been getting this question. What does this, what does Florida state's immediate future look like? I mean, what does this do in terms of Florida state's potential for 2021? To me, I look at it and I start looking at the defensive depth chart and the defensive depth chart starts to look healthy. I mean, you add a second edge that can really play and you've got a four-man rotation at defensive tackle as good as any in the ACC. You know, with Briggs there, with Briggs at defensive tackle, your defensive tackle rotation of Lovett, Cooper, Briggs, Jackson is as good as any anybody's putting out there in your conference. Plus, you've got Verse and whatever edge you might add on the end uh, on the, at the end positions along with Fuller, Warner, and McClendon as your primary backups. And then, you know, you've got your younger uh, athletes still developing behind them. But feel pretty good about that. And then linebackers with uh, Deloach and Bethune, you don't feel like those guys are a liability. You've got stability at safety with Robinson and then probably Akeem Dent at that other one. And you've got enough athletes. You've thrown some bodies at the position at corner that you think you can get some production there. You start going, where Where are the real weaknesses that teams have been able to attack? And you don't see a bunch of glaring weaknesses if you can stay healthy at linebacker. So, I mean, this could be a top 30 or even top 20 defense next season, given what they've been able to do in terms of flipping the roster, in terms of 
retaining some of the guys that they needed to retain and some of the additions that they've, they've been able to make. That's a huge deal. And offensively, you've got an, an infusion of playmakers at wide receiver and, and, and guys that can actually win against one-on-one coverage. You've added stability and depth on the offensive line, and you've, you've got a bunch of guys that are just older as well and more experienced, and you've got the guys that were developing behind that can take a, a step forward as well. So maybe you have eight, nine guys that you can actually count on next year on the offensive line. Then the question is, can Travis take the step forward at quarterback to match what he was starting to look like at the end of the year? End of the year, his numbers were as good as anybody's. So can he take another step forward at quarterback and stay healthy. And then if that's the case, I mean, you're looking at two of the wide, if two of the wide receivers help upgrade that room, the way that you hope this could be a top 25 offense too, and be able to compete with teams that actually have good defensive lines because of some of the stability that you've added in the offensive line. So you combine those two things and, and all of a sudden it means that Florida state could really go from sort of being in trouble to being competitive in every game in 2021, where they're not just completely out-talented to where they've just got no shot of winning any game in, uh, in any given game in 2021. They, they should be able to be competitive in pretty much any game they play in 2021 and then be able to out-talent a number of the teams on the schedule that just won't be able to match up on the line of scrimmage or on the outside with some of the, some of the guys that you've, that you've got. It's been a long time since Florida State was able to do that in terms of adding, in terms of being able to put a defensive line and offensive line out that, you know, mediocre or below average teams are just not going to be able to match up enough with you on the offensive line or defensive line to be able to be competitive with you. And I think Florida State might be there next year. And then teams that can compete with you a little bit more on the line of scrimmage, will they be able to compete with your, with your guys on the outside? That's going to be the question. Will those guys be able to to win those one-on-ones and be that much better? If so, I mean, this team could really take a major step forward next year. I mean, they've they've put themselves in position to at least be in the discussion, to make that a, a viable discussion. I'm going to be really interested to see how all this pans out in the spring as they're trying to develop these guys and, and bring these guys along. But there's a lot more room for optimism given how they've managed the the transfer portal and some of the some of the things they've done to flip the roster. So, you know, got to feel pretty good about that. Uh, it's obvious that they've understood where the where the, the personnel things need to be changed, and they've gone out of their way to, to make those transitions and make those changes. So room for optimism there. I really want to see how some of this stuff looks in the spring. As always, this has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. The Unconquered Podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, ShenRealEstate.com in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Garage Makeovers of Palm Beach and Broward County, and the Unconquered Podcast shop at UnconqueredPodcast.com, which features stickers, magnets, and other seminal gear. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. I'm especially grateful to those above the dynasty level, that is Andrew Garrett, Brian Leininger, Jonathan Kennedy, Lee Caswell, Travis Smith, Tyler Kashishki, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, post us on social media, and tell a friend. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. 
I made this. <laughs>